Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Monday to you. Happy Monday to you, too. We started today's show with a pretty rock'em, sock'em debate here on privatization and healthcare. Had Dr. Brian Day on, fresh mm-hmm. off his, his setback in court, the B.C. Court of Appeal last week fighting for more private health care options, and he went up against Dr. Bernard Ho, Canadian Doctors for Medicare. And yeah, it was a really feisty back-and-forth debate. What's your analysis here of this court ruling? Well, it's a slam-dunk uh, defeat for, for Brian Day, but I assume he's going to take this to the Supreme Court of Canada. He's been This has been going on since, I think, 2006 or 2009. B.C. Supreme Court ruled against him in uh, 2020, basically upholding the Medical Protection Act in B.C., uh, outlaws extra billing by doctors, uh, and the growth of private ins- uh, health insurance. So it's um, it's a defeat for him no matter which way he wants to slice this, but I expect him to keep the fight going. At the end of the day, the justices ruled, the B.C. Court of Appeal ruled that while it's true long wait times do negatively impact people, it does not. It, the greater good of, of society is a mar, much more paramount. In fact, Section One of the Charter of Rights allows exceptions yeah. to the Charter, sure. and that's where this has fallen into. That the greater good of society by being protected by this uh, publicly funded healthcare system is a greater value than individual needs in terms of uh, being able to get off a wait list and purchase your way to the front of the line. Right, because Day was arguing that this went went against the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Section 7, which says everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. So Day was arguing, well, that should include the right to spend your own money Mm -hmm. on your own health if you're stuck on a waiting list and you're getting sick and you're in pain. And so the court is saying, well, we recognize that people are getting sick on waiting lists and in some cases even dying mm-hmm. on a waiting list. But we, they, what the, so they basically said this is a reasonable infringement on, on charter rights. Yeah. And yeah. because what, one of the concerns is, is that there's only so many doctors out there. And one of the concerns is that you would actually lengthen waiting lists if you allowed a proliferation of private health care because it could attract more healthcare professionals into the private side. Uh, where they're not obligated necessarily to follow the same responsibilities that they have on the public side, and you drain the public side of resources and therefore lengthen the waiting list even more but than there be, are today. Like the other side of that argument, though, is people will say, well, wait a sec, if I spend my own money on my own health care, now I'm not in the public lineup anymore, so the line, the public line is shorter. No, because there's so, only if you take if you take even 10% more doctors out of the public side, you lengthen the wait lists. Uh, you're not going to see thousands of people go into the private side because not everybody can afford 2000 or $5,000. And what's left behind in the wait list on the public side are those uh, marginalized people or uh, people who don't have the resources to purchase a way to the front of the line. So Day's lost this twice now, and I'd be surprised if the Supreme Court of Canada the, the, rules against the Court of Appeal. The other argument you hear frequently is, well, if we did go with this parallel system, the private system, they would just simply cream off all the sort of the easiest, yeah. most profitable cases. And the even more be... complex cases would be stuck on the waiting list in the public system. And it wouldn't be parallel, it, well, parallel in a sense, but one would be very elitist and the other one would not. And you, you, you're right, you cream off the, the easy stuff for the private side 
and the public side is still left with mammoth uh, strain on the resources with fewer human resources to provide that. Interestingly, though, you know, okay, this is a big win. Adrian Dix framed it as a victory, the health minister, but it's just less somewhat ironic that it, the court ruling comes out on Friday. On Saturday, a whole bunch of small towns announced that their emergency rooms have to close for the weekend or our patients are being yeah. diverted to other places because, again, we don't have enough staff in some of these small communities to keep these things open. Well, let's listen to Adrian Dix here. So here's the health minister reacting to Brian Day's loss in court on private health care. Have a listen. We're very pleased with the decision uh, of the court uh, to support uh, Canada's public health care system. Okay, so he's very pleased. Like you said, he's saying this is a victory, but you know, there's still lots of problems in the system he's running. Oh, yeah. No, and we're, we're increasingly witnessing this on a daily basis. So you've got towns like Clearwater, Port McNeil, Port Hardy, Chetwin, Ashcroft, um, Hazleton on the weekend, Oliver, all uh, small towns where even the loss of just a, a couple of healthcare professionals because of COVID-19 or for other reasons, or they leave their jobs, suddenly shuts down these facilities because they literally don't have the, the, the manpower to keep them open. And it's I've never seen this number of small towns lose their emergency rooms in short order so quickly. Yeah, Merlin Blackwell, the mayor of Clearwater, he was on the show last week. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was on with Simi this morning uh, too. And he was he was really upset because this most recent shutdown of the emergency room in Clearwater came without any advance notice. Like at, at first he was saying, well, at least they were giving us a little warning before they would shut it down on some sort of public public posting on a website. So this time it just shut down and nobody nobody saw it coming. So. No, and it's interesting if you just, just saw on Twitter over the weekend, this is happening all over the country. Ontario yeah. now, the wait times in emergency rooms are like triple what they were, a few, or double what they were a few years ago. And I think the same case is in, in uh, British Columbia. I have a family relative a couple months ago spent about six hours in the uh, uh, emergency room here in Victoria, just to, just to get uh, in to see a doctor. So the wait list, wait times in emergency rooms are enormous. Small towns are losing their emergency rooms, and we may have to see some structural change here, where maybe the new reality going down the road is you're going to have regional centers instead of every town having their own little yeah. facility. All right. Okay. Let's talk about the uh, NDP leadership rules now, being yep. confirmed by the party. As you and I speculated, the vote's going to be held in December now, a little later than people thought, December 3rd. Right. Um, They dropped the fee to 15000 but there's a requirement you have to fundraise a further $25,000 if if you're a a candidate. And again, I think it's all adding up, again, to a coronation or acclamation of David Eby, the Attorney General. I just can't see someone throwing $15,000 into a black hole with no prospect of actually being able to be, emerge as the winner. Yeah, 15000 just to lose to EB. 15000 you don't think EB. anyone else has any hope beating him? Well, you know, caucus members are taking themselves out of the race, the ones yeah. you would normally think. And I just can't see a, a, a non-caucus member or some activist being able to, fund, to uh, organize and sign up the number of members required that you're going to see. I mean, if EB's got the support of 40 caucus members which I think he roughly does, those 40 caucus members are going to get to work and sign up members. And that's a pretty big army uh, to defend against, which is, again, hard to believe anyone else is going to take him on. Let's listen to EB here. He's asked, will he run for the NDP leadership and become the next premier of British Columbia? Here's what he had to say. Uh, For my own part, I remain focused on delivering for British Columbians. Uh, I'll obviously be having conversations with my family, with my friends and my colleagues, with the party and with British Columbians about how we move forward together. Maybe he won't run. No, of course he's going to run. 
It'd be interesting if he didn't run because yeah. I mean, who's left? Um, if There's he no did, way he's not running. He's if gone. he didn't run, I think you'd see some of these caucus members who've taken themselves out of the running would indeed run. But sure. it sounds like he's running. What about Selena Robinson, the the finance minister? She uh, was not ruling it out the other day. She wasn't ruling it out, but she wasn't ruling it in. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, she's the only one who's still out there in yeah. terms of po- uh, potential. Uh, uh, candidates to take on. She'd be a serious candidate. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, Selena Rahman's finance minister. You know, yeah. got some chops there. Like, I wonder if the party brass, they want to see someone else in the race. Like, they don't want a coronation. Like, you know, the winner here becomes the premier of British Columbia. Are you telling me there's nobody else? There's not a single other person who wants that job? So far, no one, no one has emerged as saying, I'm definitely in. Um, but again, Dave Barrett, look at the NDP leaders of the past. Dave Barrett was acclaimed. Uh, Mike Harcourt was acclaimed. John Horgan was acclaimed. Uh, so these were the only ones that really went through leadership races, Ujol Desange and Adrian Dix. Yep. Uh, and so acclamation. But, of course, they were acclaimed as opposition leaders. No one's been acclaimed as premier. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Clark ran in 96, but he, he, had a, he had Corky Evans and a couple of activists uh, taking him on in that race. But the, the, the party, this, uh, this fee to run is a relatively new thing of the last 20 years. Yeah. And that's a that's a pretty high barrier, fifteen thousand dollars plus a requirement to fundraise an extra twenty five thousand. On top of that, forty grand, forty grand, forty grand to lose to (laughs) Evie. Okay, we'll see. Okay, now the rules are out there. At least there's some clarity. Uh, they got the sign-up phase. They, they've got some deadlines, and we'll see if that entices people to run or just well, further I, I cements it for. EB. I think that's why the party brass would like to see someone else run because it would just inject a little more interest in the in the race, get mm-hmm. some more media attention, sell a whole ton more memberships. Maybe. I mean, they would like to see that. Maybe that's why they they've delayed the thing until December to well, give again, other people a chance to you know get organized and maybe go for it. Well, I go back to Horgan becoming leader. No one wanted to be the leader. You know, and right. he reluctantly took on the job yeah. at a time when it was an opposition leader job. It didn't look very inviting, and he reluctantly became leader. And what, what do you know? Now he's premier. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. This is a big difference. This is a chance to become premier yeah. rather than a somewhat thankless task of being opposition leader. Okay, real quickly, the mayor, uh, the race for the mayor of Surrey. That's getting more interesting. So we, we expect Suk Dhaliwal, the Liberal MP, to announce today that he's running. Correct. Supposed to have a news conference at ten o'clock. So yeah, right now, I don't know if it's already on Twitter or not. But that makes a very crowded field for mayoralty. So the, the fall elections are shaping up to be probably the most fascinating municipal elections in years because you've got the uncertainty in the two largest cities in, in B.C., uh, Surrey and Vancouver, where it's a real uh, dogfight to be mayor and control the council. And it's going to be quite interesting to see how the vote splits between these candidates at uh, various levels. Someone could think, emerge as a winner with like 28% of the vote. Well, do you think this is good news for Doug McCallum then, if he follows through and and, and actually runs for re-election despite this criminal charge hanging over his head that Sounds uh, like, if the more candidates in there, yeah, the more the field. splits the vote? Yeah, exactly. So I think if he can, if he's got a loyal base... Yeah. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't need to add to that much. Yeah. If, if his base is about twenty six percent, that may be enough to win it in a, in a very crowded. Sure, field. he might be saying like everybody into the pool. Let's have a, <laughs> let's have as many candidates as possible. Yeah. Here. Uh, we'll split the vote as much as you can. Yeah. Presumably, Ginny Sims and Suk Dolliwal are going to be fighting over the same group of voters in some some of these neighborhoods in Surrey. Yeah. And Doug McCallum is going to just have a big smile on his face as he watches these candidates go at each other. Okay. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Rob in Chilliwack. Hi, Rob, go ahead. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? I, I'm doing good. I just, want to, I just want to say the coronation of David Eby, as I've said before to you guys, I just don't think 
I think he has a lot to answer for. And a few things. Number one, the ICBC. I call it a fiasco. I've heard how many people on your radio show, oh, sure, everybody's rates go down, but when you go to have to get care, they're hanging in the dark. So he's going to have to answer for that. He's going to have to answer for his, he's the attorney general, his policy of arrest and release people. Look at the crime crime going on in this province. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we have a we have a real problem, and he's he's going to have to answer for that. So okay, th- those, yep. are, those are the things I think. Thanks for the call, Keith. Your thoughts? Well, I don't think he's going to have to answer for that in a leadership race. Um, but when we get the election campaign, the Liberals have already served notice that they intend to make the the whole so called catch and release. Um, uh, situation a major issue that's been an issue that's dominated a question period so that's going to come up not sure icbc is going to be a uh, uh, millstone around his neck the vast majority of people are getting rebates rather than getting you know questionable judgments in courts the vast majority of people do not have accidents and i think they yeah. they're quite happy to see those rebate checks i don't think icbc is the problem for him but crime at the local level is becoming an issue yeah. random assaults in vancouver and, and metro vancouver here in victoria uh, the attorney general isn't responsible or, or, you know, the cause for this. But nevertheless, if crime be, and law and order become an issue in an election campaign, uh, EB may find himself on the defensive. I agree with you. I think that is a point of vulnerability potentially for him. On ICBC, though, I think EB would try to frame that as a positive, that yeah. he cleaned up he, the, he dumpster put out the dumpster fire. fire. Yeah. And now, if you are seriously injured in a car accident and you are not happy with the the benefits you're receiving from ICBC mm-hmm. under no-fault insurance, yeah, you're mad as hell, potentially, at EB. But a tiny for most, percentage of voters. Well, that's it. Like For most people who all they know is that they're, they're paying a lot less for their car insurance, yep. then maybe it's not as uh, a big a problem no, no. for them. Let's go to uh, James. James in White Rock. <laughs> Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I, I think E.B. is thinking about this, and I think he's thinking about this because he knows what kind of nightmare he's going to get coronated into. We have lot, no housing. We have uh, record inflation. We have provincial debt. We have ICUs being closed down for entire weekends all over the province because we have no doctors and no nurses. And we, we like, this province is a mess. Like, who would want the job? Like, I think he'd be smart just to say, no, I don't want it. Forget about it. You can take the crown and give it to someone else. Well, I don't, yeah, okay, your thoughts. I mean, I think he is going for it. I think he's pretty ambitious. Uh, uh, And I think he served notice some time ago he'd be interested in this job down the road. Caller's right, which is why I think that we're going to have an early election rather than a later one. I don't think David Eby is going to wait two years um, before calling the next election because um, the caller's quite correct. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Inflation's not going away. The doctor-nurse shortage is not going to end anytime soon. So these problems are mounting on the plate of the government, and I think uh, it's, it all points to an early call. Okay, so let's say he becomes the NDP leader and premier this December. Could we potentially be into a snap election in the spring of next year? I think potentially. I think it's more likely the following fall. Uh, I think there's actually some Still tension. a long way to go. Still a long way to go. Could be the summer. You know, We've summer. had summer elections yeah. before, but um, I think the pressure is going to be on him to get another mandate from the voters. Bob in White Rock. Bob, you got 30 seconds here. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Actually, technically, I'm in South Surrey, but I, I'm embarrassed to say that. We need to get rid of this tyrant. And what stops all of these politicians, other than their ego, from forming an anything-but-McCallum party? Because wouldn't it be better to share the role or share the responsibility in policymaking as opposed to potentially giving this guy a split-vote win? 
Okay, thanks for the call. Well, they don't seem to be able to put their egos aside. They all have yeah. ambitions. They all think they're the one for the job, but it's going to be a fascinating race if it's a four-way split. Uh, yeah. Like I say, someone with very small amounts of votes in terms of percentages because he emerges as a winner, and that includes Doug McCallum.